Hello and welcome to Colored Red, a podcast that's all about Colorado true crime. I'm Laura, and today's case isn't exactly the case that I was originally planning on doing. I was researching this other case, and then I found another book that I just had to include in my research, and I didn't quite finish it. So I've bumped that case to next month. So for that reason, today's case may be a little bit shorter, but no less important. And I don't like to just fill time to get up to a certain time limit. I promise I'll be making you guys, this up to you guys next month um, with all this research that I've been doing. So I started researching disappearances cases for this month. And I've not done many disappearances where some people just vanished without any real crime being detected and with no trace at all. One case particularly intrigued me because another podcast called Military Murder calls it the Air Force's Maura Murray. I'm sure most of my listeners who are into true crime have heard about Maura Murray. But for those of you who haven't heard about it, her case is sort of one of those OG missing persons mysteries. It's on season one of the show Disappeared on ID Network. It's the case of a college student who was going through some stressful but manageable personal problems like some light partying. So she crashed her car. She had some school problems, that sort of stuff. And after her dad comes to see her in college and helps her take care of her car, She ends up writing to her professors that she was sick and she took her car to a liquor store and bought lots of odd liqueur type alcohols and maybe that's just what she was into and then she drove off miles from her school. Her car was then found abandoned on the site of a semi-remote highway in the woods and she was never seen again and no one knows where she was going or what she was doing. But anyway, this case isn't about Maura Murray. This episode is about the disappearance of Nani Dotson. I got this information from that military murder podcast, Reddit, CNN, Westward, and the Denver Post. Nancy Grace also looked into this cold case at one point. In addition, I looked a little more into the laws and rules surrounding the disappearance of someone who is still an active duty military member, as is in the case I'm covering today. I'm sure that I have some listeners who are military or ex-military or families of military members. I myself have not been in the military, but I am from a military family. I'm an Air Force brat to be specific. And if anyone wants to weigh in or correct me on something, just email me at coloredredpodcast at gmail.com or message me on the Instagram page at coloredredpodcast or on Facebook. So here we go. Nani Dotson does not have an episode of Disappeared, but if she did, I imagine it would go something like this. Nani Dotson disappeared on November 19th, 2006. When a person disappears without a trace, often the most critical information is hidden in their actions and words from the days before they vanished. Nani Dotson's last known whereabouts may hold the clues to what happened to her. Nani Dotson was born into a family that right away experienced tragedy. She does have a twin brother named Bo, and she does have an older brother named Tony, who I'll be telling you a lot more about later. And when Nani Dotson and her brother were both only one year old, her father committed suicide, and her mother was left to take care of three children all on her own. Her mother's named Candace Doyle, and she was faced with raising a family all on her own, and she ended up joining the Air Force to make ends meet. 
And then most of her family did eventually settle in Colorado pretty early on after she joined the Air Force. Just one of the more commendable details about Nani's life from her childhood was that she also survived childhood cancer, which is an incredible thing for her to overcome. Nani followed in her mom's footsteps and she joined the Air Force as an officer in 2004 after she went to college and she became an intensive care nurse and by 2006 she was working at a medical center at Lackland Air Force Base in Texas. Nani was actually scheduled to be leaving the Air Force in March of 2007 and this is from my understanding a little bit earlier than what's usually expected of an officer commitment because as I said she joined the Air Force in 2004 so this would be three years right around there. She was previously married and was divorced and she had no kids with her ex and it was a pretty amicable divorce with that ex-husband and he doesn't really come into play into the story at all. She ended up having a daughter um, with another man and her daughter's father was a man she met named Edward Vell and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right V-E-H-L-E who lived in Texas and was 20 years her senior. Nani Dotson did not actually live in Colorado when she disappeared. San Antonio, Texas was her official residence at the time of her disappearance, and she was visiting her brother Tony and was supposed to also be visiting a friend in Colorado over the Thanksgiving holiday in 2006. And Nani was actually a graduate of Overland High School in Aurora, so she had her ties here and her family was from here. And I actually had a number of friends from Overland High School myself. She also wanted to move to Colorado and she was even hiring a real estate agent to look for houses here. And she really wanted a mountain home in particular because she was interested in starting that mountain life. Part of her looking to settle here was, again, like I said, because she was planning on leaving the military and because she was the single mom of a young toddler named Savannah Marie. So as I said, week before Thanksgiving 2006, 4.5 months before her leaving the Air Force, she came to visit Colorado with her 16-month-old daughter, Savannah. Her first stop on her visit was to stay with her brother, Tony, his wife, Amy, and their two young sons. In Colorado, on the night before she went missing, while she was staying with her brother, Tony, she went to a bar called the Grizzly Rose because she was this avid country music fan. And I looked up Tony's house and the Grizzly Rose, and the Grizzly Rose is clear on the other side of the city from where Tony lives near Chatfield Reservoir. This would be, ooh, I don't know, 30 to 45 minute drive at night. Um, This was before all the traffic got really ramped up in Colorado, so maybe it would have been less than that. It's quite a drive to do around bar clothes, presumably after she's had some drinks, but not really much else is mentioned about that. Friends say that at the bar, she was approached by two men who wanted to take her to breakfast, and they got really pushy. But she shook them off and with the help of some other patrons at the bar, got away from these two men and that's when she drove all the way across town in her brother's car. And the fact that she was driving her brother's car and allowed to is pretty important here. On the following day, a Sunday, November 19th, Nani told her brother Tony that she was leaving to run errands on foot. 
And Tony told investigators that he needed some trash bags from the store and he thought really nothing of her walking on foot to go run a few errands. So some sources say that Nani was supposed to be going and meeting her friends for a smoothie, but I can't really see where anybody interviewed someone who told them that and I'm not sure where they got that from, but either way, she was going to a local shopping center. Tony has two young sons himself and they were playing video games in the basement and then they went to watch a football game with a friend at a house and they came back and Tony's wife came home and she didn't really find it odd that Nani was still gone. Tony's wife was named Amy and she has been interviewed by Nancy Grace and Amy and Tony had this tradition on Sundays that Tony would bring the sons to the hospital where Amy worked and that they would go for lunch but on that day that Nani went missing Tony called her and said that he wasn't going to make it. He said that Nani wanted to hang out and they might take the kids to the zoo, but Amy maintains that she didn't really think much of coming home and finding out that Nani went to go run errands on her own and that they weren't hanging out, which was the excuse he gave to not come and have lunch with her. So Tony and his wife Amy take Nani's daughter and their sons out for the remainder of the day. And by the time they arrived back home that night, Nani still wasn't home. And for some reason, no one was concerned about Nani. Cell phones were in most people's pockets in 2006, and there doesn't appear to be any effort from Tony or Amy to contact Nani and ask her where she was and what she was doing. They just did their nightly routine and they went to bed. And I guess they were just assuming that she was hanging out with friends and taking advantage of them babysitting her daughter for her. The next morning, Nani's daughter starts crying and Amy realizes that Nani still isn't home. By late afternoon, everyone started to be in a little bit of a panic and they filed a missing person report. Police interview Tony and some weirder aspects of her leaving to run errands start to dawn on everyone. For starters, she walked. She didn't drive or take Tony's car or even really ask about taking Tony's car and she didn't mention anything about a friend or anybody picking her up. She also left her coat at home, and end of November, Colorado, during the day, it could be below freezing. It could also be 60 degrees out. So before I made a snap judgment on the coat, I took a look at exactly what the weather in Colorado was on November 19th, 2006, And the maximum temperature that day was 39 degrees. So her leaving her coat at home was a little odd. And it's not really clear how extensive of a search that police did on Tony's home at this time. Admittedly, there was really no reason to do so at that time. Because for some reason, when adults go missing like this, especially after only a few hours, um, it's not really considered a dire missing persons case at that point. Tony provided police with a piece of clothing, though, and they used a scent dog who tracked Nani from Tony's house, which was located just north of the Chatfield Bluffs Park, all the way down near Chatfield State Park. And the dog tracked Nani to C-470, which was on her way to the shopping center that she was planning on going. The Military Murder Podcast describes C-470 as a country road, and C-470 was built back in 1980. 
Mind you, I'm not talking about E-470. I'm talking about the western portion of 470. And it wasn't nearly as busy as it is today, but back in 2006, it was very much still a busy highway. And it's not a country road. It's a busy highway. I'm pretty sure that that area has always had the overpass of a bridge there. So it's not like she walked up to the highway where someone could have stopped and picked her up. But this area right by the highway was also the last spot that her cell phone pinged. And she did, when I saw this, have a cell phone, I'm saying. So did she walk up onto the highway? Probably not. Why did her phone stop pinging right there? Was the phone searched for in that area? Before she left to go on this errand, she browsed singleparentsmeetup.com three times and once when she got home from dancing, once when she woke up, and once right before she left at 1 p.m. on the Sunday that she disappeared. And all she really did on this site, they could tell, was check her messages. And her messages did not allude to any plans to meet anyone that day. She called a girlfriend that morning at around 10.30 a.m. and didn't reach her. And then she called a different friend around 11.15 a.m. And she left a message to that friend saying to give her a call. And that friend tried to call around 1 p.m. and could not reach her. So because Nani was in the military, the immediate thought was, did she plan to desert the military and her family? Desertions aren't unheard of, but like I said, Nani was scheduled to be out of the military in four months. There was no reason like upcoming deployment or anything of the sort that she was scared of. There was really no reason for her to desert. And desertions were pretty fresh on everyone's mind in Colorado at that time because there was a Marine named Lance Herring who faked his own disappearance in Colorado only months prior to Nani disappearing. So that case was fresh on the minds of police when they heard about Nani. And in her case, there was little reason for her to try to desert the military, like I said. So that was kind of immediately... Um, pushed out of their minds. So investigators had nothing. And a year after Nani went missing, a new team took over her case. And that was the homicide team. And they noticed that none of Nani's money was touched during that entire year that she was missing. There was no cell phone activity and there were no sightings. So this is where I stopped and I questioned why the military wasn't involved in the case. And I learned that Nani was considered at that point to be missing and not AWOL. A person in the military who is still active duty, your presence at work is basically a legal requirement unless you've made it known that you won't be there because you're sick or something or you take leave. So when a military member just no call, no shows, they're considered absent without leave. And that acronym is AWOL. And you can be AWOL for minutes up to 30 days. Desertion is a different scenario where the military member who left is presumed to intend on never coming back. A service member who is AWOL for more than 30 days is considered a deserter. And depending on the severity of your absence, service members can face up to a year in jail for being AWOL or for desertion. But in the case of Nani, she was never considered AWOL or a deserter. They just considered her missing. 
And I tried to define, I tried to find this distinction between AWOL and desertion and missing if there was one. And I guess if you're missing, then you're missing against your will. And they call this a casualty status. And at the very least, that's what they called it in the case of Nani Dodson. And that's sort of what I got out of this case. And for the record, I got out of it that these things are handled by the military on a case-by-case basis. So how they handled Nani's case isn't necessarily how they usually handle this type of case. And there's really no book of code about how to handle each case. So so the months dragged on with nothing and no sign of Nani. No body, no crime scene, not a single clue. Family and friends even reached out to psychics, and to absolutely no one's surprise, the psychics uncovered nothing. And here's something that is sort of unusual, but I don't really put it past um, the media. They were calling the family every single time a woman's body was found in Colorado, and Tony made a statement to reporters about how it feels to get that call. And he said, quote, We get media calls every time there's some unidentified female bodies. You're wondering if it's going to be closure, if she's dead, if we can put her remains to rest and have closure, and not wonder if some freak neighbor has her in the basement. So at this point, who are the suspects in this case, and what are the ideas for what happened to Nani? The first suspect would be just a random person. Did someone pick her up on the street? Was this the two creeps from the Grizzly Rose coming to find her? I really doubt that the guys from the Grizzly Rose would somehow come find out where she lived, but you really never know. And so could it have been someone from the dating site that she was browsing just minutes before she walked out the door never to be seen again? We will probably never know that one. The next obvious suspect is her ex-boyfriend and father of her daughter, Edward Vell. Edward was actually scheduled to meet with investigators at one point, and he missed his first appointment, giving them the impression that he was being um, unreasonable and that he wasn't cooperating with their investigation. But his cell phone records showed that he never left the state of Texas during this time. But on the other hand, he also had motive because before Nani went missing, she and Edward Vell were involved in this really bitter child support and paternity dispute. When Nani became pregnant, when they were still together, he begged her to get an abortion and he wanted a paternity test done when the baby was born. And I'm sort of thinking that's reasonable to want that, but he was incredibly bitter and angry about this baby being born. And the child support was eventually figured out by the courts, and he was actually ordered to pay Nani $10,000 in back child support and also pay her $900 a month in child support from there on out. And he was incredibly angry and bitter about this. So he has the motive. In fact, after the baby was born, here's a testament to how angry he was. Nani sent him a picture inside of a baby birth announcement and he ripped it up, wrote, it's a bastard on the picture and then mailed it back to Nani. So his phone stayed in Texas the entire time Nani was in Colorado and it was verified by multiple sources that Edward was in Texas at that time and that he was there and that he never came anywhere near Colorado. 
After Nani disappeared, Edward and Nani's parents began this incredibly difficult dispute over custody of the daughter that he didn't want to begin with, so I'm not sure why he fought this so hard. And despite all of this, he was actually granted full custody of Savannah in January of 2008, and she lives with her father still. So, weird dude, probably not who committed this though. Then there's the third obvious suspect, Tony Dotson, her brother. Tony, as you'll find out, is a super weird guy, to say it lightly. A year after Nani went missing, he put up signs with a reward that didn't even have a picture of Nani on it. Instead, it had a picture of her daughter and it said, help me find my mommy. So as we all know, the most helpful thing to find someone missing is the picture. Honestly, nothing really else matters more than that. So either he's sort of dumb or he's trying to look like he's looking for Nani without actually doing so on purpose. So some people like to say that during the interviews from the news and the news pieces where Tony and Amy are pleading to find Nani, Tony's acting creepy and weird. And I honestly don't see this going on. But if you look back at that stuff, knowing what I'm about to tell you about Tony, you might see it. But I think that that's a stretch. But here's the twist. In 2013, Nani had been missing for seven years and not a trace of her has ever been detected. But that year, 2013, Tony Dotson is convicted of a 2012 rape and burglary in Denver where he broke into the house of an acquaintance that he was dog-sitting for using a key that he found while dog-sitting. And so in the home that he broke into, he rapes his friend at knife point and he messes up the house to make it look like a burglary and doesn't really let this woman see his face or really say much during this time. And this is a key part that really pointed to Tony because the dog who was normally protective of the owner refused to attack the perp and they figured out later was because the dog probably knew who the perp was and that led them to Tony. And DNA evidence ended up confirming that Tony was the rapist. And get this, Tony recorded this entire rape on his phone and uploaded the video to his own computer so that he could watch it later. Here's a little bit that's a little bit more descriptive of this crime from Tony's arrest affidavit. He pulled the sheet around the woman's head, constricting her breathing, before tying her hands behind her back and cutting off her sleepwear with a knife. She did what she could to fight back and even managed to get her hands free for a brief time, but the man responded by throwing her to the ground, slamming her head against the floor and retying her hands, after which he raped her on the bed. The man never spoke during the attack, and she didn't get a good look at his face. All she saw was black clothing. Can you guys believe all that? This was his friend who he raped, and their mutual friends all commented that Tony had said some creepy stuff about her. And after this incident, he said that she might not have even been raped because she can be dramatic at times. And friends said that he made some off-the-cuff sexual remarks about her in the past. So if he's willing to do such a thing to a friend of his, is it possible that he did something to Nani? Tony and his wife Amy divorced soon after the disappearance of Nani, and it doesn't even end there with Tony. 
While Tony is in jail for this rape and break-in, a friend wires him $6,000 into his prisoner account. And that's an excessive amount of money for commissary snacks to have in jail. And it turns out Tony says that he was trying to buy the favor of people in jail by buying them things. So you might think, okay, interesting survival tactic in jail. But the people he bought off told investigators that Tony was actually looking for someone who was going to be getting out soon to kill the woman that he had raped. And Tony wasn't just offering Cheetos and Ding Dongs for this murder either. He was offering $20,000 cash, a Mercedes Benz, and a $14,000 ring for the completed job. An indictment cited by CBS4 notes that he allegedly approached members of the 8-Tray Gangster Crips, GK1, aka the Gallant Knights Insane, and associates of the 211 crew, a white supremacist gang, all to get out and murder this friend of his, quote-unquote, that he raped. He eventually found someone to do this job, and the plot was uncovered, and he was then charged with solicitation to commit a murder. The victim was moved to a safe location and was moved into the witness protection program, which is part of why I cannot find an accurate name for her, and I don't really need to. So you might be wondering, where did Tony get all of this money and stuff? And it's because in 2009, a female co-worker of Tony's was found dead in the trunk of her car. And for whatever reason, Tony Dotson was the beneficiary of her $300,000 life insurance policy. I was curious who this woman was, and I found out that there were at least two women found dead in the trunks of their own cars in Denver in 2009. One was Solomon Adolfo Mendoza, a 19-year-old woman and two men who I don't think have anything to do with Tony were arrested for her murder. The other woman is Yuen Tran, a 34-year-old woman, and there's not much else I can find about her death other than it was last ruled as suspicious. And her body was found in her trunk at 8th and Navajo in Denver. There has been absolutely nothing that I can find released as to why Tony Dotson was on her life insurance policy. But it's it's apparently not something that's really been looked into that much. So this weird insurance payout accounts for all that money that he had to pay people in jail to murder his rape victim. And the trail went cold there. My thoughts are that considering that Nani didn't actually talk on the phone with any of her friends that day because um, she couldn't get a hold of them, The only information that we have about what she was supposedly planning on doing is from her brother, Tony. There's no information readily available on whether or not Jefferson County Police ever searched Tony's house, and we know that they never polygraphed anyone. The only thing we have that corroborates that she did walk towards the shopping center was the dogs tracing her scent to C-470 and her cell phone indicating that she was in that area. There's Nothing else to indicate that she did actually do this walk towards the shopping center. And I'm curious about a lot of things in this case. She apparently did have a cell phone. So where is it? Where is her purse? Presumably the dog would have found it 
if it was tossed into that area, but I'm not really getting a good impression that an extensive search was done. If someone random just picked her up in a car right there, maybe they tossed her purse and the phone along the highway after turning it off because that's the interesting part is her phone never pinged anywhere ever again as if it just was turned off right at C470 and that was the end of it. The other question that I have is why was her military service so short? I've not found anything with that information. She supposedly joined in 2004 from the sources that I have and then would be leaving in March of 2007, making that about a three-year term in the military, and there's no reasons listed for her to be discharged early on. Typically, I thought that the minimum was four or maybe even six years for an officer, but I'm not really clear about that, so if anyone could weigh in on that with me, that would be awesome because I'm really wondering why it's less than four years. The other thing is that it's not been made clear at all why Tony, and especially Amy, didn't find it odd that Nani didn't come home even after nightfall. And she was supposedly running errands on foot, and it's not been made clear if this was something that she did typically or if this was out of character for her. And it's unclear to me why Amy just especially didn't question any of this. So in 2011, the reward for information about Nani was increased to $100,000. Tony is currently in prison for life, and it appears that Nani Dotson's other family doesn't think that he has anything to do with her going missing, and he has never been officially named as a suspect in her disappearance. Nani Dotson is roughly five foot three. At the time she went missing, she was 33 years old and weighed approximately 120 pounds. She has dark black hair and has a large scar on her left knee and right shoulder. If anybody has any information about Nani Dotson, you can call Jefferson County Sheriff's Office tip line at 303-277-0211. And as always, I'm going to have pictures up online on my Instagram that is at colored red podcast and I just have one more bit of information for you guys I have a t-shirt design done for the podcast and I'll be releasing this design as soon as I can get them screen printed so it's a super awesome shirt stay tuned for that um, I'm going to be releasing those shirts just as soon as I can just figure out how many I want to get screen printed so you guys are going to love them and I'm going to have a special Um, drawing for Patreon members when those shirts come out. So if you're not already a Patreon member, head on there. It's just $1 per month, and I will send you a handmade card, a sticker, and I will be forever grateful to you. So stay tuned for next month's episode. It's going to be much longer. So until then.